Hello, this is Keith Casto filling in for Pastor Paul this week, and I'm going to be presenting a short uh, talk called Can You See From Where You're Sitting? Did you ever go to a baseball game back when people still went to baseball games only to discover that your reserve seat was sitting directly behind one of the big columns supporting the stadium's upper deck? Pretty hard to see the field, let alone the players under those conditions, and since there were a number of columns, likely to generate hard feelings toward the management and a number of customers. But the management seemed to have the motto, let the buyer beware. And after all, a buck is a buck. So they continued to sell those less than choice seats. At the other extreme, sometimes you can have what seemed to be the best seats in the house only to discover otherwise. A long, long time ago, when I was young, I went with my wife and in-laws up to the old Richfield Coliseum to see the Harlem Globetrotters. Since we didn't often go on such excursions, we had paid something extra to make sure we got tickets in the first row. And they were in the first row, only clear around catty corner to the basket so that even when the trotters were at our end of the court, we still couldn't get a very good view of them. Oh, well, you live and you learn. Hopefully, as we live, we are also learning the importance of whether we can see from where we're sitting spiritually. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1-1 where we definitely shouldn't be sitting, for we read, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. It only stands to reason that if we surround ourselves with the things of the world, that is what we will see, and not the things of God. Therefore, we must take care of that, uh, that we seat ourselves in spiritual places and do our best to focus our eyes on the things of God. But even the most moving visual revelations of God's presence do not register the same with those who behold them. Jesus, the very Son of God, was seen personally by a great many people during his earthly ministry, yet comparatively few came to an understanding that he was the foretold Messiah. One who did is recorded in Matthew 9, 9, where we are told, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. In this case, it did not necessarily matter where Matthew was sitting, but what he did with what he saw from there, which was to see and hear spiritual truth and then act on it. Having seen and accepted this truth, after he left his seat in the tax booth, the next time he sat down was among the followers of Jesus Christ. Ironically, just before the calling of Matthew, a different reaction to the divinity of Jesus is recorded in Mark 2, 1 through 12. There we read, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch as there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bearing one sick of the palsy, which was born afore. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, 
I say unto thee, Arise, and take up the, but thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, and took up the bed, and went forth uh, before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. In verses 6 and 7, we are told that the spiritual leaders, when they beheld the same Jesus that Matthew was soon to see, did not discern the reality of Christ's divinity, but instead were quick to question it. But perhaps, since they were there to hear Jesus in the first place, they were seeking further revelation. For the Bible tells us that after Jesus demonstrated his true power and authority, all were amazed and glorified God, which would seem to include the scribes as well. We would certainly hope so. These are examples of those who believe because of what they had seen. But several scriptures also remind us that sometimes it is important to believe without seeing. We are instructed in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that now faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This goes contrary to the world's view, for we've all been exposed to the phrase that seeing is believing. With the Spirit's help, we all need to keep growing and improving in this area, and if we need a further scriptural reminder to help us, we can find it in the 20th chapter of John, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I think we can all say amen to that. As far as seeing and recognizing Jesus, it was prophesied back in Isaiah that some people just never would get it. In Matthew 13, 13 through 16, Jesus referred to Isaiah when he told his followers, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. In this passage, Jesus acknowledged that even though the people described were capable of seeing and hearing, they had purposely closed their eyes and stopped their ears so as to make them incapable of receiving him. Later in Matthew, the 23rd chapter to be exact, Jesus preached a revealing sermon to the scribes and Pharisees to inform that that they were badly afflicted with self-centered spiritual blindness, which made them unable not only to see Christ, but also unable to see the harm they were doing. Listen to a short sample from Matthew 23, 23-26. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make the clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within uh, all, uh, they are all full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Fortunately for some of these leaders, Jesus was as able to heal spiritual blindness as he was able to heal actual blindness. For in John 3, we read of how Nicodemus received spiritual light, while John 12, 42 through 43 reveals that, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Through the revealing grace of God, perhaps we'll meet a few more scribes and Pharisees in heaven than we'd previously imagined. If we have established by God's grace a seat among the righteous, from that spiritual vantage point, God expects us to watch out for certain things, and in particular, the needs of those less fortunate than we are. Isaiah 58, 6 through 9, is one of the scriptures that makes this especially clear. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. The New Testament contains instruction just as specific, one of which is 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? In other words, in order to please God, you must always keep an eye out for someone you can help. Know anybody that fits that description? If not, I'm sure you wouldn't have to look very far to find somebody who does. To wind this all down, I'd like to finish with two scriptures that I think rank very high in what anyone should look for as a believer. In Exodus 14:13, after the Israelites were scared, complaining, and wanting to go back to Egypt, we are told, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Fear not, stand still, and see the, nation, the salvation of the Lord. That's mighty good advice in any situation, if you ask me. And finally, to my mind, the most important thing one should look for as a believer is found in John 12, verses 20 and 21, which tell us, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And I hope, so say we all.